seeding. May God be pleased to work all that in our lives. So the reading of God's Word for the preaching of the Word comes from Judges chapter 4. And uh, I'll be making reference to chapter 4 and also chapter 5. But chapter 4 gives us the events and chapter 5 is a song that celebrates this victory. Let's hear the word of God. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hagoraseth Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinonoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali, and the people And I will draw Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and ten thousand men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendant of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oaks of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out for his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Haroseth Hagayim to the river Kishon, in the day in which the... Uh, and Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with ten thousand men, following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak at the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of to Herosheth Hagayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, 
of the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And so she opened a skin of milk and gave him a, and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in his hand. And then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they were des- destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. May God, the Holy Spirit, bless us in the reading and hearing of His Word and apply this truth to our hearts and lives. Let us pray. Almighty God, we remind you of what we prayed about at the beginning of this uh, beginning of the worship service, that we don't want to depend upon our intelligence or our ability, but we want to use our intelligence and our ability. But we want the blessing to come from you. You're the one who gives the victory. And so we pray that you would teach us your word and glorify yourself. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In my years in ministry, Mother's Day has been actually a, a, a thing of contention at times. Um... I mean, for some of you, you probably think, okay, Mother's Day, what, what could be the problem? But I've been accused of not being sensitive enough to women who've lost babies, and we lost a baby. Um, not that I said anything bad, I just didn't say enough good things to make everybody happy. So Mother's Day is a hard day for some people. That's my point. People have lost children. Mothers have died. Women who are not able to have babies. It's all, with all these holidays come all kinds of things. And, uh, and all these things that come up. And uh, then the other thing is, you know, some women, they, they dread Mother's Day because the preacher's going to preach on Proverbs 31 and they make them all feel guilty. And they feel bad because they've messed up and they haven't been the perfect mom and all this other kind of stuff. We've already dealt with that, right? We dealt with that a while ago when we read James and confessed our sins. So, got that behind us. But everybody messes up. That's that's all of our lives. But anyway, it is a day, and it is it is a not a day in the in the scripture. It's not a day in our calendar that the church needs to, has to observe. But it is a day that's going on in our culture. And so, I wanted to preach today on a subject of 
the two ladies uh, who were exemplary in their character. But uh, the sermon I'm preaching is just as applicable to every man as it is to every woman. Uh, it's great to see these women here who are such heroes of the faith. But I stress this fact. The things that we learn from them are the very things, same things, that this is not a takeaway lessons for women. This is takeaway lessons for every one of us to see how God worked in their lives, what we learned from them, but we'll also learn about from Barak and others. And so this is why you have an outline, you have an extensive outline, and uh, we'll follow that as we go through this passage of Scripture. Our culture has those women who are uh, its heroes. Oprah and Hillary, Michelle and Megan, Kim and Chloe, and many others. But our heroes of culture are not always good heroes for us. In Judges 4, we have two, men, two women. In many respects, ordinary women with daily routines and work to do. But in the will of God and under His blessing, they are hero examples from which both women and men can learn. Today, I want us to consider events in Judges 4 surrounding Deborah and Jael and the other people and the happenings from which we can learn. First, with Deborah, the question will arise, or it may be in people's minds, uh, about women being elders in the church because she was a prophetess, and so were Miriam and Huldah. Let me just address that and get it out of the way. There's no basis or proof that women ought to be elders in the New Testament because these women were prophetess in the Old Worship, church authority, leadership, and rule in the New Testament was vested in men. And the scripture is clear about this. And it wasn't because women are inferior, but it's because to certain men were given the rule. In the family, all have equal dignity. But to each person in the family are different roles. The child is not the mother, and neither is the mother the father. And even within the Trinity... In the Godhead, Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are equal, but they have different roles. Christ doesn't send the Father, the Holy Spirit doesn't die on the cross, and other such things. Deborah is no proof for a woman to be an elder in Christ's church than any more than an eight-year-old king in Israel, which they had, is proof that an eight-year-old should be an elder. We must be careful not to push Scripture beyond what it says and to be satisfied with what God says in His Word. Now consider these events in Judges. Judges begins with the death of Joshua. It's sad, isn't it? I see what happens here in Joshua. I was talking to Brenda about this this morning. Here Joshua and the faithfulness, the faithfulness with which he served and led the people of God and that book ends, and then you see all hell breaking loose and God's people and, and all these people going away from God in Judges. And this cycle appears. And the people, they, they became involved in idolatry. And God got put out with them for their sin. It even says in chapter 3, verse 8, that He sold them. He sold them. And so there's a cycle in Judges. Disobedience, then slavery, then they cry out and repent, 
then he delivers them, then they obey, and then they disobey again, and the cycle continues. Now what about the events of Judges 4 and 5? Right at this particular time in this cycle, they are in the period of disobedience. Jabin, the king of Canaan, uh, has overthrown them. And Sisera is the commander of the, his army. There has been domination by Jabin for 20 years. And Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord answered with a message through Deborah, the prophetess. As a prophetess, she was God's mouthpiece, just as other prophets were. Correcting wrong, delivering God's will and God's law and all of life. She was also a judge, settling disputes between the Israelites, handling civil cases. And she did her judging under a palm tree, or, or at least where the palm trees grew. And people might ask, why did she do it there instead of at the city gate? And I don't have an answer, except maybe that it was the fear of the enemy, and they needed to be in a safe place. But she goes to Barak with a message from the Lord. And the message is uh, verse 6 of chapter 4. Has not the Lord of the God of Israel commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And she promises victory to him. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. So God promises victory. But Barak is not real excited about it. You can imagine the scene. She tells him, this is what God has called you to do. And all these forces are going to come out against you that have held us captive but God's going to give you victory. And Barak is thinking, that's easy for you to say. That's, that's really his response. Because he says, ain't no way I'm doing this unless you go with me. She says she will. And she promises him that he will not get the glory, but the glory will be in a woman who will give victory. The troops are assembled. The journey is begun. Sisera receives word and readies his troops. It is known that he has 900 chariots of iron. And other accounts list the number in his army in the tens of thousands. Many more than Barak had. Sisera's forces, though, are defeated. God honored. was God was honored in giving the victory. And in verse 15... It says, And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. From Deborah's song in Judges 5, it seems that the Lord may have used the weather in order to give this victory. If you look at verse 21 in chapter 5, it says, The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Chariots may be mired in mud and flooded and soldiers in a panic. And Israel seized the opportunity. 
the mighty, with great numbers of soldiers and superior weaponry, were defeated by the weak, the underdogs, those who were few in number and with inferior weapons. Sisera escapes on foot and comes to the tent of Jael. The Kenites were of a neutral persuasion politically. Jael offers him hospitality and a hiding place. She gives him milk to drink and hears him order her to protect him should anyone come along. Sisera falls into a deep sleep. And we could see Jael in what she does here. It's, at many times, probably, she had put up the tents and she had driven these long pegs into the ground in just the right way. And she takes, she, you can almost see that here he is lying down and she quietly gets down on her knees, maybe positions his head between her knees. She sees the soft spot in his temple and she takes that mallet and she takes that long peg and she gives it one really good hit to get it halfway through and then maybe a couple more and she nails him to the ground. I love the action of J.L. in her fighting on behalf of God's people. For years, I've asked children to name a daughter J.L., but they have never done that. Okay, so anyway, I'm hoping to get a dog, and if it's a female dog, it's going to be named J.L., all right? So Bayrick comes, and she sows him Sisera. And the chapter concludes with Israel pressing Jabin more and more until finally he is cut off from being any threat to them. And they enter into a 40-year period of peace without being bothered by enemies and without falling into idolatry and disobedience. So they enter into a period of obedience to bring God's chastening and, so, uh, uh, and no disobedience so as to bring God's chastening upon them. So there are good lessons here for us to learn. General lessons like we need to guard our hearts and lives against idolatry. Because that's what happened to God's people. To get them in the mess to begin with. That they had to fight the battle. We remember the lesson here of God's power to chasten those who rebel and prosper those who obey. We see this event commemorated in a song in Judges 5. It probably was Deborah who composed this song based on verse 7. But it was, um, but it was uh, sung by both Deborah and Barak. And the song praises those who volunteered to fight on Israel's behalf. And it rebukes those who did not. And it honors Jael for her heroic deed. And it mentions Sisera's mom. And her waiting upon her son to return from war. Great and instructive event. We can't apply all there is here, but I want to consider some main characters and to learn from them, and especially note the women who are mentioned here. We have three biographical, or we have, well, actually more than three biographical sketches. We have a number of players here in to... Uh, instruct us into the will of God. And the first one is Barak. 
And we can summarily describe him as a man of little faith and much fear. He is believing, but he is unnecessarily fearful. He is believing. He is a much faithful. He is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as one who, who attained great deeds. Here he has proven in obedience, even though there are aspects of his obedience that are not commendable. He did obey the Lord, but there was sin involved in his obedience. This is true of all of us. Don't go throwing stones at this man. He is us so many of the times. You do the right thing, you got a bad attitude. Okay? So that's where we live. But we don't want to we don't want to respond like he did. He was a leader in some known capacity for Deborah to summons him. But when he heard of his, of her commission, he was not excited. Some say he wasn't showing weak faith, but he was really showing strength. Because Deborah represented the presence of God to him. And so he wanted her to go with him. And he insisted on her going. And this showed his strength. But that's not what he said in verse 8. If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. That doesn't show strength. It shows cowardice and fear on his part. Pure and simple. Not unlike others in Scripture who were brave one minute and fearful the next. Haven't you had that happen? Look at Elijah. He was that way. Man, he killed all these prophets of Baal. And the next minute he's running for his life and scared to death. Or think about Job and how faithful he was. And the next minute he is ready to, he wants to die. Or think about Peter, a leader boasting in the truth of who Christ is and yet denying Him moments later. But Barak is also an example of a man lacking courage and being coward. Barak is not unlike other men today. A man can be a husband and an elder, a military leader, a leader with responsibilities at work, but that doesn't mean that he will lead. He may say he doesn't like confrontation. Who does like confrontation? I've had people tell me in all my years of ministry, Pete, I'm not like you. I don't like confrontation. I don't like confrontation either. But I know that I have to have confrontation because I can't live with myself if if a situation requires it and I've got to be at peace with God before Him. If something needs to be addressed, then I have to address it, even though I don't want to. Just because we don't feel like doing something means we have an out. He may say he doesn't like making decisions. He doesn't always know what's best. Who does? Who knows what's best all the time? Years ago, I wrote in an article on husbands and wives about men leading their families, and I made this statement. Some wives want desperately for their husbands to lead and are scared to death that they will. When I said some, I meant by that not all, but some have a husband who leads. Some, though, worry if he does lead. They want desperately, they're tired of a husband who doesn't lead, but they're scared because the fear is 
that his leadership will not be in wisdom and love and tenderness. That he won't be, or that there will be a struggle. Some men can be when it comes to eating and sex and sports and work, some hobby or some interest they have, but they opt out too often of God-given responsibility to lovingly lead their wives and family after the model of Christ and His church. But God is gracious and God helps us and every man is a work in progress. There is no man who does it without sin. And and I've known many I've known many men who have been given as examples of the perfect husband, the perfect father. And then you get to know them better and you see all the that you see that they are sinners just like the rest of us. That doesn't mean you give up. It means that we all seek to attain to fulfill our, our calling and our responsibility. And Bayrick here is in unbelief and cowardice, and that is not right. So what are some other applications here? The right response to the Lord is always obedience. The right response to the Lord is always to obey His Word, to obey His law, no matter what. Whether others choose to or not, whether enemies are great or small, God calls us to be faithful. Here, here is what I see going on in conservative Christians today. Conservative Christians will confess, yes, we must follow the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. Yes, we must follow the Bible. Okay, in this situation you're in here, this is what God's Word says to do. Yes, I agree. That's what God's Word says to do. But now is not the time. Now it's just not, it doesn't feel right. It's not the, I, I'm afraid this may happen. I'm afraid that might happen. It's just not the time. That's disobedience. Bayrick, yes, I know, Deborah, that you're a judge and you are a prophetess and you've given me God's word, but I don't think it's the time. I think we need to do a little bit more military build-up and we need to psych our guys up and we need to... Cowardice and fear arise from unbelief. All of us have to battle this. All of us. It's a lack of faith. If we don't obey, then we don't believe as we should. We don't believe God is true. We don't believe He's faithful. We don't believe He's wise. We don't believe He's all-powerful. When cowardice and fear are upon us, there are two things that we can do. There are two things to do. When we feel cowardly and fearful and anxious and worried, there are two things that we can do. The first one is we can pray. You pray to God for help. And the second is you obey God and do it anyway. Listen. When you're scared to death and you're obeying God anyway, you are showing bravery. Listen. This is the way it is. Being brave does not mean that you've got it all settled and you're just you you got the world by the tail. That is not being brave. Look at David in the Psalms going into battle. He goes into battle. He's scared to death. He's praying like nobody's ever prayed before. He's saying, my enemies are too strong for me. They're too mighty for me. But he goes into battle. He does what he's supposed to do. And that is how we deal with 
our fear. We go ahead and obey God anyway. There was a book written some years ago. It has a great title. You'd love to, I'd love to write books that just have great titles because people never read, any, read anything. But this was a book. I did read it. But anyway, I have this book. And I'm not endorsing this book. I'm not saying go buy it. But listen to this title. The title is Feel or Face the Fear. Face the Fear and Do It Anyway. Face the fear and do it anyway. That's how you deal with fear. The weakness, thirdly, the weakness does not rule out usefulness. Because you and I experience cowardice and fear and lack of faith, it doesn't mean that God is through with us or we can't be used in great ways for Him. Barak is an embarrassment to the men and warriors of Israel as their representative leader, but still God was pleased to use him mightily. And when you fail... And when I fail, we are to confess our sin, to get up and go on in the strength of God. We're not to be, we don't need to wallow in that. We don't need to be beating ourselves up with regrets. Confess the sin, move on. Remember what Paul said, forgetting those things behind, right? That's the way we've got to live. Fourthly, remember Jesus, remember Christ. He is the strongest and the bravest man who has ever lived. He was faithful in all things on our behalf. He was tempted to be a coward, though he never was. He stared fear in the face, and he conquered it by faith on our behalf. He is our great leader, greater than Barak. Let us love him, and let us live for him. Our Christ, Barak here, Christ is the picture of one who is without fear and without cowardice. And then the fifth application under Barak is... Be an encourager to the weak and the fearful. Be an encourager to any who you have reason to believe are fearful. And encourage leaders in whatever their responsibilities they have. Many will attack, many of the attacks of Satan are against those who lead. The temptation for them not to act in principle and not to show courage. Listen. Satan is real, and he comes, and he attacks. And he will attack our church in leadership. He will attack our church in just our, and all of us as members of this body. Remember Deborah's encouragement. Remember Deborah's encouragement. Does not the Lord go out before you? And the Lord goes before us too. Now let's make some application for Deborah. Deborah is a true mother of Israel, a champion for God's people. This is what she calls herself in verse 7. As a mother in Israel. A mother in Israel means a mother to the people of God. As a mother owes her children protection and help and truth and love and wisdom, Deborah gave that to the Lord's people. She is an excellent example of faith and faithfulness. Faith, she believed the Lord's promise of victory over the enemy. And she never hesitated. She did not shrink back. It wasn't just J.L. that embarrassed Barak. It was Deborah as well. She shows her faithfulness. She does her duty. She obeys God. She's faithful to be a good judge. She's faithful to deliver God's message, even if it's not what Barak and others want to hear. So what do we learn from her? The first one is that great courage and great faith is believing and obeying God. Great faith consists in obeying God and believing what He says so as to act upon it. 
There are people today in the church, especially among conservative believers, that teach that the way you show great faith is that you come up with something great for God to do, and then you believe Him for it. That is not taught in the Bible. It's fine if you want to come in, come up with great things to do for God. That's fine. But He'd also like for you to do the ordinary things about loving your wife and loving your husband and loving your youngins and being faithful to Him in His body of Christ and at work and all these other good things too. But if you come up with something great, that's fine. But you can't thank Him in advance for doing this thing that you came up with because you don't know for sure that He's promised He's going to do it. That's just your idea. And so... All these believers are running around feeling guilty because they can't thank God for things that they can imagine when God hadn't even commanded that that is great faith to begin with. Look at Hebrews 11. The hall of fame of the faithful was not designed, was not those people who could come up with great ideas and then believe God for it. Hebrews 11 is about those people who obeyed God in everything that He gave them to do and just in the ordinary course of their lives. This is what we see in Deborah. We need Christians today who will live lives of faith every day, believing God, practicing love, honesty, self-denial, obedience, being a holy people, trusting in God's promises, not living in fear and worry and anxiety and anger and discontent and complaining. But exercise faith. Live out our lives in our work world, in all of our work, in school. Not worried about what is going to happen or won't happen. That's God's problem. Listen, when if you're afraid by obeying God that everything is going to get messed up, that's His problem. That is not your problem. That is God's problem. When you obey the Lord anyway... When you obey the Lord anyway. Secondly, of Deborah, she here is a type of Christ. Some people might not like me saying that, to say a woman is a type of Christ, but she is. She is a woman who is a picture of Christ in faithfulness and righteousness. Not just men, but women too. She is faithful and fearless prophet who judges righteously and encourages and rejoices in the success of God's people. She is a type of Christ. She had her weaknesses and sins, but what we do have of her recorded is this very positive picture that prepares people for Jesus to come, who will be perfect in all these ways. Now look at J.L., a wise warrior for the Lord. I call her a warrior because she, oh, even though she was not a member of the armed forces, she was still a warrior. Ten thousand brave men fought that day, but J.L. fought also. And she is one who Deborah told Barak would get honor for the battle when the Canaanites fought. Some fault her for being deceitful. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine ministers faulting J.L. for being deceitful, promising hospitality and then killing her guests, committing murder, not fighting fairly. Such criticism is stupid. In times of war, opposing forces understand that trickery is part of the plan. That's a part of the, that's a part of the whole process. 
There's no reason to shelter one who is God, in God's army is pursuing and giving help to the devil and the enemy. The best justification for action, though, comes from God. We are told that she will receive honor. She will receive honor. She is celebrated as a heroine. De- details of her trickery and killing Sisera are rejoiced in. She is, they rejoice in her. Look at verse 24. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Chapter 5. Of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. I guess he wasn't on her knees. Maybe the tent peg was so long it couldn't be handled that way. The same terminology is used with the Virgin Mary. What does it say about Virgin Mary? Most blessed among women. Learn here from J.L., Everyday faithfulness can yield great results. Everyday faithfulness can yield great results. Listen, serve the Lord faithfully from day to day, and you never know what opportunity may arise for you to do or say something to advance the kingdom of God. Come on now, folks. We have got to believe this, because that's what happened. J.L. did not get up this mor- that morning and say, well, I think I'll have me a little bit of milk to drink for breakfast and I'll eat a little bit of that leftover stuff we had last night and maybe I'll get me a general in here today that I can kill. That's not how it happened. That's not at all how it happened. She's just going about her day. And here this guy wanders into her tent and she had this talent for driving tent pegs and she used her gifts and talents for the glory of God. That's what happened. Scripture is full of people who did great things for the Lord. Again, not because they came up with great ideas, but because they were faithful day in and day out. Look at, go back and look at history. Look at, look at the Reformation and Calvin and Luther. What, what was going on with these guys when they brought about this Reformation? Did they, say, did they have a committee meeting and then they plot about all these great things they were going to do and how they were going to bring about Reformation? And how? No, they didn't do any of that. They were faithful. They were hated. They were despised. They were faithful day in and day out. And God blessed them and God used them. And that's who you and I are supposed to be. And we trust the Lord to use whatever opportunities, whatever gifts, whatever talents we have. And secondly, J.L. is a woman who is a picture of Christ as well. A picture of Christ. Who is Jesus? He is the wise And he is the fearless warrior. Later, Jesus would come and crush Satan in the head. And he would liberate his people from the dominion and the cruel slavery of death. You see that picture there? She attacks Sisera in his head where it's going to kill him. And what do we know in Genesis? We know that Jesus would come and he would do battle with the evil one. And our victory is a greater victory. J.L. is a picture of Jesus. And women and men who follow and serve and love Jesus 
are pictures of Him today as well. You and I can be pictures of Jesus. And finally, I'll mention Sister's mom, a mother for the world and God's enemies. She's described in Deborah's song in verse 28. She's a mom of the world, a mom that we don't want, a mom that we don't appreciate. Out of the window she peered. Okay, so here's Mama. She's waiting at home for her little boy, sister, to come home after the battle's over. Okay? And she says, I hope he brings me some cloth, and I hope he gets him a couple of women that he can abuse and have sex with of their of those people he defeats. That's what she says. Because that's how that's how perverted and how fallen they were. Out of the window she peered, verse 28, chapter 5, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have I not found and divided the spoil? Okay, he's going to bring a whole bunch of stuff back. A womb or two for every man. A couple of women for every man. Every man to abuse sexually. Spoil of dyed material for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed wool work embroidered for the neck as spoil. She wants some clothing for Mother's Day. Well, there was dyed clothing that day. But it was the blood of Sisera on the blanket that covered him. She raised a reprobate. And she, he was defeated, and she was as well. She looked for joy, but there was no joy that day. For two women had done him in, and he was dead. There is no reward for being a man. There's no reward for being a mom and dad or having a family. It is not enough just to be a mother or dad. There's nothing virtuous simply about being a mom or a dad. But we must be a mom and dad, if that's our calling, who pleases the Lord. We are to teach and to live before our children to love Him and His cause and His kingdom and His people and His truth and His service. We are to ask what kind of value system are our children learning. Where is their heart? Where are they now? Have we sought to teach them? If they do not welcome the Lord, do we still pray and look to Him to move their hearts? Is our testimony to them one of love and humility and grace? My final point, I know this has been a little bit of time, but I want you all to make sure we get, we get our money's worth out of this whole text. A prayer for God's people. And the prayer for God's people, this is in the New American Standard. If you look in your outline from Judges 5.31, let God's enemies perish and those who love Him rise like the sun. And uh, it's not the same in this other translation. Uh, In the other one it is, but your friends be like the sun as He rises in His might. This is the conclusion of the song. So, what we should do as God's people, we should pray for our enemies to repent. We should witness to our enemies and we should pray for them to repent. But if our enemies will not repent, then we uh, 
should pray for their defeat. We should pray for those who love the Lord to be strong and successful. We, are, we should not be praying for our, either, our enemies to either repent or to be destroyed and to be eliminated. Why would we want our enemies not to be eliminated if they're going to live to fight against God's people? And then secondly, we pray for those who love God to be those who are strong and successful. And then the final application is this, and it's an important one. It is now is our opportunity to honor the Lord. We read this story. It was Deborah's time. It was J.L.'s time. It was Barak's time. It was time for those 10,000 warriors. Now our enemies have arisen. We have Satan. We have our own sinful nature to fight. We have evil people that God uses. We have this whole world system that is opposed to God. And we must remember now in the presence of our enemies, now is not a time to be fearful. Now is not a time to be saying, woe is me. Now is not the time to be saying, nothing can be done. Now is not the time to say, we just wait for Jesus to return. That wasn't Barak's response. That wasn't the disciples' response. And that is not a godly response for our age, even though many Christians teach that response. No, our response is to be God's people in God's world. And now is our opportunity to be His faithful witnesses. Deborah's song praised those who volunteered and fought. And those are the ones that God praises as well. Not that God worships them, but God honors them. But many refuse to fight. Those who refuse to fight will be immortalized as well. Too busy, too concerned for themselves, too concerned for their own agenda, too concerned about time and money and energy, too concerned with self-consumed life. God help us that that's not who we are and where we are. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we've looked at a lot of material here. And this is good material. And this is all material that fits together. And we pray, Lord, that You would help us to be faithful to You. To be faithful to You as Your servants. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of cowardice and fear. Help us to understand Your Word better so that we can be Your faithful people. And that we will live out Your truth and not just talk it. Have mercy upon us and bless each one of us, we pray with this, and for our number who's absent as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.